Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. Welcome to Stick to Wrestling. My name is John McAdam. This is the Stick to Wrestling podcast where we mainly talk 70s, 80s, and 90s pro wrestling. We're back in the 80s. Part two of our talk about Starcade 88. Uh, once again, we're joined by Christian Body. But before we get rolling, I want to invite everyone to join our Facebook group. Lots of fun conversation about the podcast, about wrestling in general, about all kinds of stuff. All you have to do is ask. It's free to join and you're in. And that's pretty much it. Let's get rolling with part two of Starcade 88 and the NWA in general in 1988. All right, Rick Steiner against Mike Rotundo. Um, I really liked what they did coming into this match, Christian. They had teased the Rick Steiner turn forever. Usually in wrestling, a turn starts and ends in like a month. And they they held it off. And finally, you know, they, they finally had Sullivan and Rotundo, you know, kick the crap out of Steiner after about eight months of tormenting him. And they made the fans want to see babyface Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner looked like he was going to be a star coming into this match, a big star in the wrestling business. It never happened the way I thought it was going to happen. But, uh, I mean, like I said, I like the way they booked it. They made you want to see Rotundo versus Steiner. They made you want to see Rick Steiner go after Rotundo and Sullivan. They made you want to see the bully get his comeuppance because they bullied Yes. And I always looked at it as a bullying match. It also, this also kept up the fine, the fine Starcade tradition of the best match on the card not being the main event. <laughs> it's like, and I always tell people that. People say, well, the Flair match. I said, no, this to me was the best. It was the best match because it was the most emotionally satisfying. Because you, when you watch the three count, watch him run around the ring pointing at them, you know, that he outsmarted them, you know, that made you feel good. And you, it, it, the finish of the match is great. I, I don't want to spoil it for if you've never seen it, but the finish is well done, and the the, the jo- listen to the pop when he when he wins, crowd goes bananas. I mean, it sounded like a good old fashioned Jim Crockett crowd, and everyone's happy for him because Rick Steiner, for all intents and purposes, had sat there for months and taken abuse at these guys' hands, and he finally got his come up and showed him, see, I'm not a dummy, I'm smart, and it was it was really you know really really good to see it. And, I, and again, I lo- I love Steiner. I loved him when his brother came in and they and they teamed up together. But I I don't know if he was ever going to be a single star because he just he couldn't give interviews. And did, I always wondered, did he need a manager? Did he need, you know, something else? I don't know. And that's that that to me is where I get confused at. What did he need to kind of give him an individual push that he didn't get? You know, because with his brother, his, Scott can talk. So they, so he can be the, you know, the voice behind what they're doing. But as an individual wrestler, I don't know if he was ever going to be, you know, going to get that chance to shine. And, you know, there's there's an interesting story about what Dusty wanted to do with Steiner and his card. But to me, the match is very, very good. I I love the finish, the happiness of them running around, of him running around the ring and high-fiving fans with the belt and pointing at Steiner and pointing at Rotunda and Sullivan is really, really – that, to me, is something I really enjoyed. I love – I just love watching it. I, I did not think it was the best match on the card, but right from my notes, I love this match. Hard-hitting and realistic, all things relative. Uh, 
huge pop and then Steiner over, over in capital letters. You're right. I mean, the fans were into it. Do I think Rick Steiner could have been a world heavyweight champion? No, I don't. Do I think he could have been a United States heavyweight champion? Yes, I do. I think he could have been a a credible challenger uh, to Barry Windham. You know, I think he could have been a cre- credible challenger to Ric Flair, too. I just don't think that, uh, you know, he should have ever gotten that particular victory. But, you know, I thought Rick Steiner had a lot of potential. And I thought, especially coming out of this match, they could have done a lot more with him. Yeah, I agree. I, I, the U.S. title to me would have been perfect. He and Wyndham, to me, would have been perfect. That would have been great to watch. Because it, it's they were tailor-made, kind of tailor-made for each other. They both had kind of what I call rough brawling styles. And it would have been – Wyndham as a heel worked very stiff. So it would have been interesting to see what happens when, you know, he's um, you know, he, he's working that, that that style of match. It was really well done. I'm glad they got – I'm glad he got over. I don't know what they could have done with him differently. I guess maybe a different booker could have done something better. I, I mean, they needed more, you know, people he can kind of play off with. Like him and Sting would have been a good – it's a shame you, you can't you, – you, he and Sting couldn't go at each other – that would have been interesting to watch, you know, to see how, to see how they, uh, to see how they, they, they could have worked that. But it essentially, it, it, it to me was a great match on the card. The, the, it, the pace of it was well done, and it really made the show. It gave, it gave you kind of a, knowing how the show ended. It gave you kind of a satisfactory ending to have to, to, to see something good happen on the, to a to a guy to a good guy on that show. Yeah, I mean, really, one thing I noticed about the show is this is really the last uh, babyface uh, victory because the rest of it went to the heels, starting with Barry Windham against Bam Bam Bigelow. Barry Windham peaked on this night. I mean, I came out of this saying, okay, we have found Ric Flair's eventual replacement, maybe even pretty soon in Barry Windham. I mean, he was phenomenal on this night. Yep. I mean, from the minute he turned... To up to Shytown Rumble, Wyndham was arguably the best. I, I'm I'm overstating. He was second to Flair, maybe the best in the business at that point. He just was. And this night, I mean, I, Bam Bam Bigelow to me was. I don't know if he was the right guy for him, but this is a good match. It just shows how bar, how skilled Barry was. If he could kind of take um, someone, not I'm not the Bam Bam Bigelow is bad. Work this match to make it look good, and then not have it be any uh, not. And kind of make make it work because I don't think Bigelow he could fly around a lot and do a lot of bumps, but as far as like actually, you know, I I didn't think Bigelow had a shot in this match. Someone a friend of mine asked, thought, "Well, Bigelow's going to win tonight." I'm like, "You must be the only person that thinks this because I I just don't see it happening." But it was it was a phenomenal match. It shows Wyndham was really good, but it also shows that they misused him once uh, once once the calendar turns to eighty nine, they, they didn't use him properly. So. Well, Bigelow himself said that he was a little bit immature and was not ready for the fame that had been thrust upon him about a year ago when he debuted in the WWF. He was quickly gone from the WWF, and now you've got this big star who was in main events in the World Wrestling Federation the same year, 1988, Bigelow main event in Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, Philadelphia Spectrum, etc., uh, the Los Angeles Forum, and now w, now the WTBS Wrestling, the NWA, has him on their roster. And at one point, Starcade 88 was going to be Ric Flair against Bam Bam Bigelow, That's and it. Flair didn't want to do it because he's like, well, Bigelow just got here. He's not established. And it's like, you know, Rick, times have changed. You know, 
the biggest he was a big star in the biggest promotion in the world not even six months ago and it could be argued that flair versus bigelow might have been the best choice even though ultimately i think flair versus luger is the best choice of the main event but yeah I, I i never understood why bigelow didn't get over he never got jobbed out in the wwf he has a superstar upside christian you're old enough to know this how many guys did you know who had tattoos on their head in 1988 not many i mean one in terms of personally not in the business, you saw a one-man gang do it. I mean, times kind of changed. Bigelow, I, I, I was shocked when he left the WWF because, to me, he fit them perfectly. But I don't, think, I, I don't think anyone really knew how to use him because you made him a face, okay, his agility was off the charts. I mean, really, he, he, was, he was like Big Bubba Rogers or Big Boss Man. He and Boss Man are kind of the same thing. They could both move. Also, I, I put he, Terry Gordy, and boss man in the same category, big guys that can move and can get things over and can sell and make things happen. It's just, you know, it's it's a it's a shame that they couldn't find a use for him. I don't know. I I, I wonder what they could have done in to keep him around because he wasn't around. Up, I think by Jan, mid January he was gone, wasn't he? Not sure exactly when he left, but he did not last long in this promotion. Right. He was gone he, he early nineteen eighty nine. He might have gone to Florida with Dusty for a little bit because I think that I know he was down there in Florida for about a month. And then he was doing Japan stuff. But it's, you know, there's so many things that came out of the show that made me think, I, made me go, well, I wish this could have been done differently. It would have it looked different. But Wyndham won by count out. But to me, I, I, I guess they were kind of trying to save it for, or we want to try to save Bigelow, try to do something a little bit different, maybe keep the feud going. But having Oliver Humperdinck didn't really help either. But <laughs> no, just... No, just I mean that's another guy. He's on what I call the Paul Jones man. He didn't really need, <laughs> you know, you know he's he's kind of like, do we really need this guy around? But it's he's just there to me. He's window dressing. It's not that big a deal, but it's 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 a situation where, you know, I don't know whoever called that finish. I hope it wasn't Dusty. I don't know who was calling finishes, but that just didn't work for me. It should have pretty much been, you know, either one either Wyndham winning clean, Wyndham screwing him, or Bigelow winning by disqualification, setting up you know, another shot down the road. I mean, I get it. He just started with the company. You don't want him doing clean jobs. So I, I can live with a count out finish, right. especially considering that they did pinfalls in just about every other match. I mm -hmm. mean, you, Christian, you asked the question. If someone had said to me on December 26, 1988, Hey, how do you how do you push Bam Bam Bigelow? What do you do with this guy? Like he's got obvious talent and a look. What do you do with him? I would have handed that person a tape of 1986 Memphis wrestling. Get Bigelow out of that ridiculous flames costume and get him back to a more basic, menacing look, like the way Memphis used used him as an uncontrollable madman bad guy and then after about a year year and a half of that you turn him baby face and you've got a pot of gold on your hands and you're right no one did that he's almost like the precursor to goldberg whereas like you know goldberg kind of you know came out they figured out just have him win everything in 30 seconds you almost have that you almost have a situation where you have big little win kind of like the rotors when they first hit whenever you match my 20 seconds with a splash or something his agility it sells itself how no one figured out what to do with him, I don't know. That's just very, very, you know, strange. It's just maybe it's, it's, it, because Memphis knew how to handle monsters and things like that. I think the problem is 
what I would have done was probably just have him go on the path and just get, you know, I would have had him feud with Sting, maybe. Turn him heel feud with Sting for a little bit, see what you can do. Who knows? But that's just, uh, yeah. That's, that, it, at this point, it's like you, the company was sold, so you were really in flux of, well, what do we do with this guy? What do we do with that guy? And it's kind of, unless you were an established Crockett star or established star, they really kind of didn't know what to do with you. And in the case of Bigelow, they really didn't know what to do. And that's a shame because could, there could have been some good things done with that or, or at least you know bring somebody in the field. I don't know who you could have brought in. You know, if you brought in the Steamboat. I, I know Rick, I know Flair's going with him, but a, a Bigelow Steamboat match would have, been, would have been really interesting to look at from my standpoint. Oh, I agree. Bigelow could have feuded with Luger, with Sting, well, a babyface Luger, with Sting, with Steamboat, uh, you know, a babyface Flair. I, I think it was a, a wasted opportunity. But like I said, Bigelow him, himself was saying that, you know, from a maturity standpoint, he was not ready. Now to the semi-main event, Dusty Rhodes and Sting versus the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors were the hot heel act. Sting was the hot baby face act and Dusty just climbs right on that rocket, Christian. I mean, it was time for him to go and he knew how to make himself more valuable by inserting himself into the Sting versus Road Warriors feud. I mean, at this point, he's like Al Bundy still talking about scoring four touchdowns in a game. I don't, <laughs> I don't even, at this point, it was almost like, you know, we can't, how do we miss you if you don't go away? I, the funny part is this, I was going to say this, but I'm going to say this right now. If you remember about two weeks after this show on Superstation TBS, Dusty gives one of the most self-aggrandizing, self-promotional interviews of all time. Talking about, I am the NWA, I am Starcade, I am this, I am that. And I, I had no idea he was either leaving or was fired. But there was this whole thing about me, 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 me. And then all of a yeah. sudden, going back to this match, I mean, listen to the crowd. They're not booing the road wars. It's not going to work. You know, Sting, I mean, they, didn't they call him a brother in paint? So, to, and even, you know, I don't even, if you watch this, there's a spot in the match where Sting's in there with Hawk and they really don't know what to do towards each other for the simple reason. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't work this. This The Royal Wars have been baby faces really since mid 84. You can't, you don't know what to do with them. But it's, um, to me, this was an awkward match. The fact that, that, that Sting and Dust, uh, Sting and Dusty won by disqualification tells you all you need to know. Dusty can't look bad. I feel like saying, well, wait a minute. Had they known, they probably could just job Dusty out. Dusty would have never done done that, but or just done a clean finish. So there was to me there was no this was this was something that could have been avoided. I don't know what I don't know what to do. And I and every time I look at this match, I, I know that Dusty's gone. I'm looking at it now through the through the um through the the knowledge of hindsight. I know Dusty's gone in a few weeks. Would have killed Dusty just to do a clean job? Try to put the oh yes it would have (laughs) yes it would have hypothetical question I know that he'd rather cut his arm off in the ring with a butter knife than do that but it just didn't to me it was like whatever man do what you want to do and I and I know every time people hear us do these interviews or anyone's on on another podcast particularly this one think we're bashing Dusty we're not it's like it's it's like it was time for him to go away he had rode that train hard for three and a half years he had been he had helped TBS become established it was time for him to go under. I mean, just just to leave, to fade quietly. I often wonder if Magnum doesn't have his accident. Would he have been that way? Because everyone keeps saying, well, he would have, he would have pretty much, you know, stepped aside for Magnum. Are we sure of this? Could he have handled Magnum being more popular than him or getting over no. him? He couldn't handle the Rock and Roll Express being more over than him. I used to think that was a joke when he said 
you don't fill out the cut the kind of thing without the dream. Ricky Morton said he was dead ass serious about that. Which which, you know, I mean he think of all the times he constantly kept embarrassing Flair with stuff like that. It's like, you know, I, someone needs to keep Dusty in check. I don't know who, who it could have been done, but this match to me was just watching it and looking at it now, it just makes me angry all over again. It's, I'm sorry to say that, it just does. Because No, I'm the same way. I mean, you know, <laughs> we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, Dusty was the happiest guy in the world for four years at JCP. He got to do whatever he wanted and now someone was going to keep Dusty in check. And it really, it really was a big deal that Dusty had been fired or forced to resign as Booker a couple of weeks before this match, and he was gone. I want to say I don't even think he lasted a week after this, Christian. I think he was gone almost right away. And here's the thing: they wanted to keep Dusty as Booker at least for a little while. They did not want Dusty to leave the company. They, you know, Dusty was considered a big part of the acquisition. They, they WTBS and the people who were now running the company saw Dusty as a major asset and a major star. And yet the first thing Dusty does is he, he corners them into a position where, okay, I have defiantly broken a, a specific rule that you have stated by having a violent angle. And to me, you know, him putting himself in this feud in this match and then going back to the promo that you that he did, I think it was the last promo he ever did yeah, uh, for the company until he came back in 91 was, you know, it all reeked of desperation. Like I need to make myself indispensable. And yet he was gone anyway. It was it was ego. When he said, "I am this, I am that," and I again looking at it through hindsight, I can see what he was doing. It was basically I did oh, all this. Not even time. hindsight. I, I I I didn't know what I didn't know back then. I mean, I knew things. Yeah, okay, I, I understand. I didn't. I never looked at his. It's almost like this. It's like be like I don't know, like George Steinbrenner not owning the Yankees and or Red Arbach not being involved with the Celtics. That's what it kind of was. I was thinking. Dusty's not here anymore. It's been like three weeks after. Like, well, where's Dusty? Where's Dusty? Oh, he's gone. He's back in Florida. Dusty's whole thing. Well, had Dusty just again? It also had to be a blow to his ego. So when he got, like we said, spiked by the road wars and fans are cheering. It's no longer you know the fans in Greensboro blindly chanting Dusty, Dusty. It's old man go away. And, and yeah, I know that sounds horrible to say that. I, I and I'm not. It, it's, it's almost like we're talking ill of the dead, but. It was almost like they were just saying, look, would you just go? We've got new toys to play with in Sting and Luger, and we like them. You can you can stay around. We like you, but we don't love you like we used to, and we kind of want you to go away. So, I mean, it, I don't think Dusty was missed very much after that because, although, as you and I have discussed, he shockingly winds up in the WWF in Boston Garden of all places. You said the crowd went nuts. So, <laughs> that, that yeah. maybe a new audience was seeing him for the first time, but – it still didn't. It still didn't change the fact that I guess what's old is new again. But yet had, he hadn't sort of worn out his welcome with them yet. You know, it, it's funny. I'll, I'll bring this up. One person that people say that I bash. I, I feel like I don't. I feel I'm. I'm just being analytical, if you will, is Ole Anderson, right? But I give Ole Anderson credit. He lost all power in 1985 when Georgia Championship Wrestling finally closed and he accepted an offer from Jim Crockett to just be a wrestler. That is a difficult transition in any job. Like It's hard to to go from a manager to just a worker. And Ole did it successfully. 
He was the booker. He was the boss. And then he was just another one of the boys and he made it work. In my opinion, there was no way on earth Dusty could have made that work going back to just being one of the boys. And I think, you know, he knew he was gone. He knew he was leaving. That's why he did that interview. And early February 1989, uh, so not long after the show, I'm in Philadelphia with a bunch of my wrestling friends and where we happen to have AWA wrestling on and Dusty Rhodes comes on. And we're and we all kind of look at each other and like, well, this is his way of announcing that, you know, I am officially gone from the NWA. Like he had to do that. He had to be that petty because he was dusty. Right. I mean, I wonder if that's the reason he did the um, to me, it's almost like it's like usually it's very difficult to have someone do that, have the power strip on. Yeah, probably, especially in the wrestling business. I mean, Jim Cornette's talked about it. I mean. You, you go from being, you know, the head of a company to being told, by the way, you know, we're not really interested in, um, you know, you being around anymore. We like you. Like I said, we like you. We don't love you. And this was an unfortunate situation with Dusty that I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that Flair kind of won a power struggle with him because he and Flair have been butting heads since, what, August of that year about his role, the way he was treating Tully and Arn. And he was pretty much like Flair and Tully were pretty much and Arn almost going to the WF that, that week. And finally, it, it finally they placated. I think Flair kind of went out because the real Turner said he was not buying the company if Flair wasn't there. That that was well known, even though Dusty yes. was part of it. He it was noted and established that if Flair was not part of this deal. It was not going down. So in any way, and I had to say he who I hate to use the term one, but Flair definitely flexed and got a modicum of respect back for being basically the franchise player. I don't know what, in terms of Dusty, he wasn't the number one babyface anymore. He wasn't even well-liked enough by, again, the Road War angle, as we're going to keep saying, it had to be a blow to his ego to hear people cheering him, him being hurt, you know, and attacked. So there's nothing, at this point, he's got nothing else. He's worn out his welcome from a company standpoint and from a person standpoint. There's nothing left for him to do. But for him to shoehorn himself, when he said, I am Starcade, that's what he meant, that I created this, blah, 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 blah. And it's, there's nothing more to really say in regards to it, but it's it's the way it's the way it goes. I'm really surprised that interview. Looking back, I mean, I remember watching it live and just being like, "Wow, this guy's you know clinging on here." And secondly, I think by the time it aired, he was gone. I'm surprised it even made it to the air. When I first heard, when it was first made official that Dusty Rhodes was returning to the NWA as Booker, it was either the very end of 1990 or the very beginning of 1991. My first thought was, okay, how long is Ric Flair going to last in this company? And the answer was, oh, about seven months. And Rick was, you know, he and Dusty had so much heat at that time. And obviously it blew over in the mid 90s. But, you know, Rick was gone soon after Dusty came back. Anyway, on to the main event, the Ric Flair versus Lex Luger, which, believe it or not, in 1988 was a dream feud. People couldn't wait for Lex to turn on the horseman and then finally get in the ring with Ric Flair and thinking eventually he would win the NWA championship. It was an exciting match. It was like a a four-and-a-half-star match, in my opinion, Excellent from all sides. They got a lot out of Lex Luger. And here's the thing, Christian. I talked about, you know, yeah, I knew things that didn't show up in the newsletter. One thing I learned is that 
during this time in this company, don't believe it until you see it because you they could have had Lex Luger planned. Uh, they could have planned on Lex Luger winning the championship for months beforehand, and it could have changed the night of the match. That's how unstable things were. So I didn't I didn't know who was going to win yet. I cared, and that that made a big difference for me for me in 1988. It did. This I want to bleed into something and say something off this. It was sort of like the end of the, the year, and I think Flair was kind of revitalized, and he was kind of going into a situation where he had to remind everyone, I'm still the best ever at doing this. And so he was, this is kind of the beginning of his, his 1989, in which he really told everybody, I am the best at doing this. So he kind of, he put, he gave you a great before, like, like I've always said to you, you, you've heard me say this before, when, when Rick has a new toy to play with, he gets excited. So now Luger wasn't really a new toy, but this was kind of, it was this match to me was him reminding everyone, I'm still the best at this. You guys are going to watch this and see this. It was, it was like I said, it was, the, it was the beginning of his 1989. We all he was just phenomenal. Great match. I don't, I, I don't know. I've always been of the thought that that Sting should have been the one that um, that got the shot, but he didn't. Um, I, I know our friend Chris Tabar is going to disagree with me because he thinks Luger should have been the one that won this, but. Um, Basically, it was a very good match. It, the finish, as always, you always have a cloudy finish with Flair and this, that, and the other. But the interview he gives after the match, which says, that's it, Lex, you're done, goodbye, see you later. You've had your shot. I mean, I mean, they, I think they went around the horn with this feud, I think, from, I would say, what was it, mid-July? I mean, the bash. And then they, they had the double main events where it was Flair versus Luger and then Midnight versus Tully and Arm on top. So they've been going at it for about four, four and a half months. So they kind of they milked this for all you could milk it for, and then Stark is always supposed to be the blow off anyway. But this kind of ended it, I think, for Luger in the sense of that he uh, he wasn't going to get any more shots. But he 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 became better after I think the working with Flair for those those five months made him better, and he he too had a phenomenal '89. That um, I think that the latter part of it kind of kind of launched him into '89. And made him and, and gave us a good Luger for that one that we saw for about six months, but he never was able to match that level in subsequent years. But this this match really, I think it was maybe Lex's maybe maybe his best match I've seen him in for that most for most of that uh, stretch of Crockett. No Luger, in my opinion, this started uh, maybe not started because it, I guess you could argue it started in uh, at the Great American Bash '88. But Luger went, had a fantastic run in 1989, and you know Luger has become at least at one point was really unpopular with internet wrestling fans. But he was great in 1989. I think Luger was. In, in his best role as a heel, not a babyface. He was, you know, we talked a little bit about Tully being a little bit of a putz. Luger kind of was too. He was a funny guy, but he was he was arrogant in real life. I'm just going to be honest. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really, here's the thing too. Like Luger did a clean enough job. I mean, Flair used a chair on his knee. Okay. You have to have some sort of storyline, but it was a, uh, a clean win for clean enough win for Flair. And number one, I guarantee you, in order to get Luger to do this, they flat out promised him the United States title, which he got uh, two months later, not even two months later. And secondly, you know, 
Jim Ross in the, in the post-match was just raving about Lex Luger and saying that he's still young and he's only going to get better and this is not the end for him. And I thought they did a really good job kind of protecting him after, after the fact. Well, they had to because at this point, I, well, Dusty we know is gone. So we have to look at it as, all right, so Dusty's no longer there. They've got Flair, Sting, and Luger. And so you've got three guys, and I guess you can work with Steiner in there. You can throw them in there as well. You've got three guys, and you've got titles, this, that, and the other. What are we going to be doing? Well, Steamboat we know is coming in, so that's going to be that. What do we do with Luger? What do we do with Sting? You know, Sting to me was the type of guy, he was kind of like what I call a road warrior, where you don't really need a title to get him over. He's, he's going to – he's almost, quote, unquote, better in contention than being a champion, whereas Luger kind of might need a belt for, for cosmetic sake, if you understand what I mean. So, I did, yeah. So Luger standing there with a belt, you know, the Road Wars and Sting didn't really need anything because they're more of an attraction than, say, a champion. They don't, their people might pay to see them anyway. Luger, you might need to have him chasing a belt or chasing a title in order to make him, you know, palatable to the fans. Like I said, he had a great 89. This was, you said, mid, from midway on, you, I think the lessons he learned the previous year of being around the horsemen, working with Dusty, working with the Road Wars, the Rock and Roll Express, and all points in between. It all kind of came together middle of this year, and by the end of this year, he was good. Eighty nine, it was great, and you know, he—I know he rubbed people a long way. I know Arn Anderson gave him some grief for being rude to people and things like that, but you know, it's <laughs> Arn's got a lot of nerve. Oh my god, you know, I did not you know, know that. I know Arn's got the Arn's got the conscience, but he pretty much uh, he pretty much gave him grief for um, you know for being rude to people, which is funny. But still, <laughs> you know, Luger, I've heard good things about Lex from a lot of people, so I've never really heard, uh, um, you know, anything bad, anything bad about him. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad that Lex is not being seen in a good light now, because for a long time he wasn't. You know, people kept saying, "Well, he's not this, he's not that." I said, "Watch, watch some Lex again, and you'll see, and you'll see, you know, you'll see good things, more good than bad." Although, we, as my friend called him, that's Bill Aptor's favorite wrestler. I mean, the way the way they hyped him in the Aptor mags was pretty much <laughs> it was it was it was it was almost unhealthy. How obsessed they were from day one. From, from, from yeah, they, it was it was unhealthy <laughs> the way the way they hyped the way they hyped Luger. To tell you the truth, you know, and and speaking of Lex Luger, if you watched Lex Luger in the late to mid nineties, you know, Lex, he totally looked like a relic from the eighties. So if that's all you've seen of Luger, I get it. But this part of his career was outstanding. And he really did look like he could turn into the next Hulk Hogan, which never happened, but he had a great 1989 Christian. I 20, 22 years ago, well, even more than that, 2001, I remember driving home from a friend's house after watching WrestleMania uh, 17 and being like, that was just a phenomenal night of wrestling on a scale of one to 10. It's a 10. And then maybe six years later, I watched it again for the first time and I was disappointed. I didn't, you know, I was like, this wasn't that good. It was good, but it wasn't great. And I, as I thought about it, I understood that, you know, I was into the characters. I was into the storylines. I wanted to see what, what happened next. So in a vacuum, it wasn't that good, but you know, that's not what matters. Live is what matters. This show after watching it, I had the exact opposite effect. This was a great show. 
an absolutely great show, and I think it's in the argument for best pay-per-view ever. Even the, the pay-per-views I liked or I loved, like the uh, you know, uh, Wrestle War 89, where Terry Funk makes his NWA return, right. Chi-Town Heat, where Ricky Steamboat wins the, wins the title. There were a lot of down times during those pay-per-views. There was a lot of filler matches that weren't that good. This match had... This show had good match after good match. Even the Russian assassins weren't that bad. And everything else I thought was at least three stars. Listeners, if you have not watched this show in a while, I recommend it highly. So do I. I it, it was the beginning of, you know, a stress for the end of the where they had just great pay-per-view after great pay-per-view. I mean, Shotown Rumble, I don't think it has a dead spot on it. You know, Wrestle War does. I'll give you that. The Great American Bash in 89 does not have a single one bad spot in it, but this was really the beginning of the run where the NWA, they had Starcade, Shottown Rumble, Wrestle War, Bash, Russell, uh, Halloween Havoc. They had five great pay-per-views in a row, and that's rare in any company because I don't think w, I don't think any WWF or WWE ever had like five in a row where you went, I could watch them and go, yeah, they're not, there's not a bad thing. It's not bad. You know what I mean? Whereas – you know, we're coming up on an anniversary year of all of us that we love because so many great things happened in it. But this show, looking back at it, it, it's again, it's the end of the Crockett era because it's the last time we're going to see the blue mat in the ring. We're going to see the blue, the green NWA ring apron, so to speak. So for me, it's it's nostalgic, but it's very good. I, I mean, out of all the Starcades, it's better than 87, which is, you know, is not saying much, not saying much, but I'm, I'm not trying to be negative. It's probably right up there with 85 and 86 in terms of the quality of, and 83. So those, you know, I can't say it's definitely better than those, but it's in that vein. So it's, it's, I would, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And also you, I would also recommend checking out the angles that led into it. The Cornette one, the dusty one, if you can find the actual real one with the, not the overdone, not the overdone <laughs> booze in it. But it's it's I would I would highly recommend watching it. And yes, you're going to be kind of kind of disappointed that the battle royal is not shown. But you know you'll live. I don't think, I don't know. I'm dying if anyone actually has that match out there. Or, or, or if it's uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take some questions from the Stick to You Wrestling Universe. Uh, Michael Bronfman asked, "How can I see the battle royal at the end of the card?" I can't answer that directly, but Christian, I know that that was floating out there back in the day. People had it. Uh, I was never inclined to go out and and get it because I didn't care, but I know back in the day it was out there. If you uh, were getting the pay-per-view off a satellite feed, you had access to the Bunkhouse Battle Royal at the end. I agree, but I, it's, I don't know if it exists. So I'm pretty sure... No, it does. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure there's some Japanese... Um, I'm sure somebody in, Jap- in Japan has it. But the funny thing is, if you actually watch the show, they actually do um, They do like a little pre-show where they show all the things that lead up to it. But um, it's still one of the... Um, it's, it's still one of the great mysteries that... Like I said, it's like the, the old show... Police squad, they're going off the air, and you're seeing the participants into the ring. It's like, okay, um, guys, are you sure you're supposed to be leaving the air right now? <laughs> and the good thing is, it, it's a solid three hour show. Whereas with in in the past, they had pay per views that were like two and a half hours. This was this was a good three hours. So and it started at seven, which meant you had plenty of time. It wasn't like um, 
late at night or eleven o'clock. Right. You you could actually watch. Well, you're all from school anyway. Those was that were there were kids back then. We were all from school. You're able to see it. So it's it's again it's like I said. There was also the playoff game earlier that day. So you had a, you had a lot to watch over that Christmas weekend. But I guess it, it kind of worked out. Whereas you got to see um you know. Uh, that that show, but I don't. I, if, if if anyone can find it, post it in the group because I'm I'm dying to see who won it. I don't even know who did. Do we? JYD won it. JYD. Okay. Well, that's good. good. The, the, I don't know the, why I know that off the top of my head, but I know Junkyard Dog won it. I'm pretty sure it's on Wikipedia. So, but I mean, I had no. I, how many were in it? Twenty? Where? How many people were actually in the? Uh, what did you say? Bunk. That's another thing we're talking about. The Bunkhouse Battle Royal. The Bunkhouse Stampede ceased to exist. That's another thing we don't that, and, that you didn't have anymore. No, because well, Dusty was gone. <laughs> that was there just to just to make Dusty look good, or one of the things he he created yeah, he to make himself look good. He? My God, that is unbelievable. <laughs> he, he won all the bunkhouse stampedes. What a, what yeah, a, well, what, I, what, I mean, like what, what a coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> Dusty wins the million dollars or whatever it is. <laughs> all right, Christian Brandon Rice has the big question. This is the big question: Why not have Lex Luger win it here? after falling short at the 1988 Great American Bash. Christian, I mean, I know the answer. I mean, but let me ask you this. If you're the booker, uh, well, let me let me put it this way. Brandon, they, they, I think it was, they didn't put the title on Luger. They kept it on Flair because they had just signed Ric Flair and they signed him to be the NWA champion. Uh, but Chris, Christian, if you were the booker, would you have made this Lex Luger's night? I, I, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I've always felt that Sting should have been the one they built around if you're going to build around a babyface because I just, to me, Lex just doesn't, he, he cosmetically looks like a champion, but to me, he just doesn't have the it factor. I know Chris Tabor is, is wincing as we speak. I just never thought much of, I never thought he could be the one that can carry a company. And you also have to ask this question. The, the company is now officially kind of changing directions with the purchase of Turner. What are they trying to do? Are they going to be the traditional NWA? Are they going to be WWF light? What are they doing? You know, do you want to have a baby face as your champion? How do you condition your fan base to a baby face champion when you've had, you know, flair as your standard bear for pretty much half a decade, close to a decade. So I don't, I, they, could they have done it? Maybe. But we also knew that we also had heard rumors that Steamboat was coming in as, as early as, you know, season's beatings, which was the class of champions, which is all. Oh, I, I knew about it in October. Right. Which is also one of the great names you'll ever hear of all time. <laughs> season's beatings, really. That, that's just one of the great names you'll ever hear. And it's, um, I don't know if, again, like I said, I don't know if it, it would have worked. So, again, I, I know. People like Lex. I mean, he he kind of fit what they were actually what they were actually doing, but um, I just to me it just it didn't. Flair putting Luger over. I don't think Flair would have done it. To tell you the truth, I mean, he, he might have done it just out of the, for for the good of the company. But I just to me I don't think Flair would have been too cool with putting over someone that. I mean, he he considered Sting the only one worthy enough to uh you know to really do. He 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 really felt something for Sting. So I I just think he should. I don't think it would have happened. And if it did. I wouldn't have been upset, but my only question is where are we going? My actually thought if Flair had done this, I thought, wow, Flair must be leaving because he's, you know. Yeah, really. He, he's putting Luger over. What does, I would have got that sense of that he was leaving. That, okay, they're beginning, they're, they're transitioning to Lex, and Flair's no longer going to be the champion. But those of us that knew Steamboat was coming in knew 
okay, but that was our thought was, how is this going to finish? What are they going to do? So it's going to be a double count out, double DQ, this, that, or the other. Nobody knows. So that's kind of that's kind of what we have to uh, what we have to look forward and deal with at this point in time is that Lex, even when they tried to make Lex the champion, it didn't work. He just, to me, he just isn't a guy you build around. He's the guy you date, not the guy you marry. So that's that's <laughs> the way you look at it. I mean, by the time they put the title on Luger in 1991, they had turned him way too many times, and he was a dead fish. But and if I were the booker, okay, I would have had Ric Flair win this match in a similar way to the way he actually did. And I'll tell you why. There was so much tumultuous change going on in that company. Right. And things that were changes that they could not be helped like dusty roads leaving uh like tully and arn leaving that could have been you know helped. there was so much chaos going on that to me you want to control what you can control and just to bring enough stability to the company uh and when i say that you know to the television product i would have kept the belt on rick flair uh, I may not have had it on him permanently or long term, but on this night, I would I, I would not have wanted to make to have made another change. Oh wow! After all these years of Ric Flair being champion, Lex Luger is now champion. Right? It was not the time. You know, there was too much going on in the company. Jim Hurd had one good idea, which I've, I've made the joke. It died of loneliness. That he wanted to to shut the company down for a few weeks and put on classic NWA wrestling on their television spots and clean up the mess and get everything settled. And then when everything was, you know, settled and ready to go, okay, we're marching out the new NWA, you know, January 1st, 1989. I understand there were reasons why he couldn't do that, but. I, it was a good idea. There was so much going on. And like I said, I, I wouldn't have added another uh, more fuel to the fire with another title change. At the same time, if you would ask me, okay, you know, it's uh, December 26, 1988. You know, what do you, what do you, how are you going to book the future of this company? I would say it would be the babyface faction of Ric Flair and Sting against the heel faction of Lex Luger and Barry Windham. Right. And, you know, they turned Luger kind of quickly and Flair got turned too. They just, you know, but Barry flaked out and they didn't go in that direction. Barry Windham flake out? Never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I that knowing that, that Hurd said that, I'm kind of shocked that he had a good idea because you probably could have done like he was. You could have done something the week afterwards, done like a year in review, like in 1988, and said had Jim Ross and Tony do wraparounds, and then you know a week later, you know, bring in interviews with people and say, what do you expect for '89? This, that, and the other. Just bring in all the champions. Say, what do you expect for '89? Like do. A, do like a two-hour show, like show their best matches. What do you expect for eight nine? And then boom, do that a week later with the loss. That now that I can see, that actually makes sense. You know, you do that, and you um, and you make uh, and you and, and you kind of and that kind of works. Shocking that Jim the Hurt actually, actually thought of it, but you know, it's I don't know what could have actually been could have been done differently to, you know, keeping keeping the belt on Flair makes sense because he's the one constant. Um, Doing that change, thing, beginning the last year of the decade with a new champion, to me, that's that's suicidal, and you don't do that. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, like I said, they, they needed that stability and, you know, changing the tilt wouldn't have done that. By the way, um, someone had pointed out to me that the syndicated television would not have tolerated a show where, you know, we're just showing old matches. Okay, have a few studio matches that don't mean anything, don't push any storylines, and on WTBS talk about how the new NWA is starting up at whatever date. Uh, let me see. Let's take one one or two more questions. Uh, okay, Matt Crowder asked, was there a better main event for Flair than Lex Luger at that time? What do you think, Christian? Unless you brought in Steamboat, no. What were you going to do? Because at this point, like we said, they had given you an unsatisfactory finish at the Great American Bash in 1988. You know, I, again, and I was there in Baltimore when it happened. People actually thought the title changed. They didn't recognize the blood aspect of it. They gave, Like I said, they gave you an unsatisfactory finish. So you felt like Luger and Flair hadn't resolved their issues. If you were going to do anything, if you would have had to bring in Steamboat earlier than that, then do that. And then even then that wouldn't have worked because you haven't built Steamboat. Yes, Ricky Steamboat is a name. Yes, Ricky Steamboat is someone that fans recognize and know, but you hadn't built him up to be, you're also undercutting Luger and everything else. So you were kind of bound into Flair versus Luger wrapping this up. Let's get this over with. And again, let's begin the last year of the decade with Flair as the standard bearer being challenged by Steamboat. We'll go from there. there. I don't know what else you could have done because again, the talent at that point was very, think of how much talent they had hemorrhaged from the beginning of the year to the end of that. You lost Michael Hayes. You lost Jimmy Garvin. You lost Ronnie Garvin. Again, it goes back to the point about them never utilizing the UWF rock merger correctly. You had gone through – maybe the problem was this. They had gone through Sting too quickly. They Sting, I think, started you know, getting title shots January of that year. You had Clash of Champions. And then as quickly as that, the feud kind of ended. You Then you had the Wyndham-Dusty situation kind of chewing up part of the scenery. And then you bring in Luger and Flair. So they had never really done anything satisfactorily in terms of – Establishing any other babyface challenge that year other than Sting and Luke. You again, they painted themselves into a corner. And ultimately, I think it worked out well. You had Sting it, you had Luger in the year. You could begin, who knows, maybe had Barry turn face again. I don't know, but they needed to end with Luger and with with Luger and Flair just to, you know, put that to bed and get it over with. Yeah, I agree. There was not a better main event. The only other main event that they could have done, in my opinion, would have been uh, Ric Flair versus Bam Bam Bigelow. But the the best main event was the the finale of Ric Flair versus Lex Luger, at least for now. And now, you know, Luger's been kind of put to bed. They're putting the U.S. title on him. And we're kind of clearing the path for Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, which uh, I believe... Middle of January, Ricky Steamboat debuted on WTBS. Christian, it has been a fun review of Starcade 88, a fun look at what was going on in the NWA in 1988, late 1988. And I want to thank you for coming on and doing this with us for the last two weeks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. Um, looking forward to reviewing in 1989. For all of us who were around, remember there's so much to go over, not just in the NWA but the WWF as well. It's going to be an interesting look back. I know Brandon's shout out to Brandon Rice because we're going to be talking about Randy Savage quite a bit, so he'll be very happy. And also, Happy New Year to everyone in the group. Blessings to you again. 
and John, it was great. And I look forward to speaking, chopping up with you down the road and we'll be in touch in the Facebook group and every other way. All right. Bless you. Uh, absolutely, man. And yeah, I, I will have another opportunity. By the way, I think this uh, comes out right before Christmas. I don't have the date in front of me, but I, if I if it does come out right before, I want to wish everyone a happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. I want to thank Brian Lass for giving me this forum. I want to thank all of you sincerely thank all of you for listening. I it means a lot to me, and of course I want to thank Luke Hipplin for all the great work he does. Mm. Believe me, he does a lot more than it appears on paper. Mm. This has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. This concludes our podcast day.